0: My name is Dan Clifton and welcome to The Mercenary Podcast, a podcast about some of the fascinating jobs Millennials have and how they handle their work life on a day-to-day basis. Each week we interview some of our friends, colleagues, or even some of the iconoclasts we admire in different fields. How do people working in completely different industries deal with similar challenges? How are people pushing the frontiers of technology, creative, and communication? Results matter, but the process is everything. These are some of the questions that we hope to explore on the Mercenary Podcast. To be honest, we haven't been answering any of those questions or asking them or really any of that uh, because we haven't really been doing episodes in a while. This is due to various reasons. I was in South America uh, a lot last year and we'll certainly get to that. Uh, but that's going to change. Um, in the meantime, we've dug up uh, episode fifteen from twenty fifteen April uh, as a sort of a time capsule of sorts. Welcome to episode fifteen of the Mercenary Podcast. This is Dan Clifton. I'm in sunny Los Angeles. I'm speaking with Matt Monahan and who is in Philadelphia, I believe,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Jenny Dreisen, who is in uh, somewhere in New York, right?
1: I'm actually in the Jersey Shore right now.
0: Oh. Well, there you go. No, this north is Jersey, or yeah, which
2: one? Yeah, which one?
1: United States, New Jersey. Sure, is that the no, question? No,
2: no, north, <laughs> north or South <laughs> is
0: where... Jersey? So you mean
1: beach. that part north of France,
2: France that's uh, or... we're near
1: Asbury Park,
0: okay. right? But that's kind of that's like that's in like the Bruce Springsteen like middle ground. Although oh, I, I would central. say. I would say that's – it's like Central North. Yeah, it's not the island of Jersey, if that's what you were referring to, Matt. The (laughs) Channel Islands. I
1: was thinking maybe you were confused.
0: Yeah. Um, So uh, I've known Jenny for a long time, although we haven't talked in eons, but um, it's kind of scary because I feel like if you look at the calendar, it says 2015, which is really scary because uh, we went to college uh, in 2005. Uh, we started at NYU and met there so that's very scary um that it's uh it's been 10 years since that um but um jenny now works as a uh is it product manager or project manager project project um yeah at at a at uh, a small tech firm called Gramercy tech is that is no, that what it's that's called
1: that's correct
0: and, and you also marry a lot of people i miss I, I cuz I skim emails constantly. Matt will tell you this. Like I don't, you know. And so when I first saw your email, um you like I just married a lot of people. And um I wasn't sure if you were going through like an early life crisis and you had like five <laughs> husbands or if you were a polygamist, but it turns out that you uh, you're actually a wedding efficient as well. I am.
1: I I did once have a guy look at me when I told him I married people and say, "But I don't really think you're pretty enough to marry rich people." And I thought, <laughs> "Hey, that's not super nice no I yeah I professionally marry people um, I've done it I've done about 60 weddings since I started um, I married three couples on the television show Married at First Sight oh wow um, so I've been doing this yeah pretty much professionally and I thought that was going to be kind of it um, and then I got hired as a graphic designer at Gramercy Tech and that kind of threw my whole career into superdrive and also in a totally different direction than I expected
0: yeah. So, what's it like? Do people hire you as an efficient because of your style? You know, are you? Is it sort of like? Um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but are you? Is I mean, it you're basically you're- the
2: MC of the
1: wedding. So um, right. of the ceremony, I'm right. the friend that you bring in because you know that I'm not going to get drunk or show up late. That's kind of my thing. It's like I'm young. I'm not married myself. Um, I sort of have a fresh style, and I'm very. I'm very hands-off as far as ego goes when it comes to the ceremony. I want it to feel like the couple. So, you know, if you want to get married in a Catholic church by a Catholic priest, you're probably not going to come to me. But if you want to get married on the high line in the middle of the day, there's a pretty good chance you'll find me. Um, And and I I really sell myself. It's just like, I'm your friend. We could be friends. And I'm going to be professional.
2: So do you have like... um like typical venues, like if it's the High Line, are you just are you kind of like if you want to get married in the High Line, you would you might not know who to to get to officiate your wedding, so you would hire me to do that, or like
1: I have um I work with one photographer very closely who stopped doing large weddings because she basically couldn't have a life; it was so exhausting. So she only does elopements, and she's one of the most popular elopement photographers in New York City. So she funnels a lot of business to me. Because a lot of the brides that are coming to her are really cool Australian chicks that want to get married, you know, in Central Park or in Brooklyn or in the High Line, and they want somebody that's kind of, you know, fun and young and well, how do God you define?
0: Brand. Yeah, how do you define elopements uh, versus weddings in terms of elopements are just things that happen without anyone's permission and are illegal no, or, or mean, a, very think, shotgun wedding is that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Elopement is definitely a term that's been totally corrupted from what it once was. Um, elopements to me are kind of like renegade weddings I call them sometimes. It means it's usually less than 10 people in a public place, often on a weekday.
2: So re- renegade weddings?
1: I call them that. Yeah, it's kind of like we're going to do it wherever we want. You want to go to the Met and get married? Like, yeah, let's go hide from that the security like my kind of wedding. do that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, you know, I've done weddings in Grand Central Terminal, I've done weddings at the top of the Empire State Building. Um, I've done a wedding where I pretended to be part of the wait staff and they were just having like an engagement party and then I just popped up with my ceremony and what? married the people right there. <laughs> what? Yeah, they, I saw that listing and I was like I have to do that. <laughs> I have to pretend to be a This It's the coolest thing, you know. Wait, um, is, it, so, is there like
0: a centralized list of these things that it's like an open assignment? You're like there, I got uh, this one. There's a
1: website called Thumbtack that, that oh, you this is can the
2: Second time I've heard of Thumbtack.
1: Okay. Yeah, um, and so people like basically put in what they're looking for, and then you can send a bid out to them, and you pay for the bid. Uh, I don't use it anymore actually because I just I honestly don't have time to do that many weddings right now. But um, it was really helpful for a while when I decided that I was going to be doing this and only this. Um, I really put money into you know sending out bids and getting weddings, and you find some interesting stuff on there.
0: That's pretty funny. And so you mentioned a few things that sound pretty unique. What were What what was probably the most outrageous thing that you did? Um, I mean, obviously you don't you don't have permission to be in these places, right? Like sometimes you you do, sometimes you don't.
1: um, That's true. Yeah, and the wedding I did at Grand Central Terminal, I expected to be like very small, and it was like they had like forty people, and the cops came over and were like, "You can't." In New York City, if you have more than I think ten or twenty people, you have to have a permit to organize Hmm. and to do the weddings. But you can go to Central Park with seven people and a huge spread of food and nobody's going to bother you. But if you have 30 people in Grand Central Terminal, also it was the day before Thanksgiving. It was insane. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, it was awful. Um
0: I've always seen those pictures of like Penn Station is the is way worse than Grand Central but it's like it's like it's like people in Penn Station just like completely packed in elbow to elbow. Yeah. And I just can't I mean obviously you'd never have a wedding in Penn Station cuz it's, obviously, it's very glamorous right it, next yeah. to the, the, the Auntie Annie's pretzel thing
1: that <laughs> yeah, smells awful and I mean, amazing. I like pretzels as much as the next person but no thanks. <laughs> um yeah and the cops came over and they were kind of like you can't do this and I am often doing weddings that maybe we shouldn't be doing weddings, so the wedding was over so I just booked it and I ran away as quickly as possible. I was like, I don't want them knowing anything about what I do or who I am because I'm probably doing weddings where you're not supposed to do, I don't know. So, uh, But I definitely think the craziest thing was um, when I got an email from these producers from the show Married at First Sight when they were doing, they're now on the second season, but the first season they emailed me beforehand. Asking me to officiate the weddings, and I was pretty sure it was a scam, and I was going to get killed when I showed up. But it turned out to be real, and I mean, I married six people, and they had never met their partner until they walked up to the top of the aisle.
2: <laughs> so two <laughs> of the what, three couples. What is are so- this <laughs> show? <laughs> Why I've would someone do it? this?
1: <laughs> oh, so it, first of all, it turned out really. I mean, they have a second season now. Um, it was based after, I believe, a Dutch show, and none of the couples made it on the Dutch show. But so far, it's been a year. Two of the couples are still together for that I married, which is really cool. Um, and I don't know why they do it. I mean, love and a little bit of, I don't know, like being on TV is pretty cool.
2: Uh, um, never yeah, and, I never underestimate people's desire sorry, to be on TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: The second season just premiered, which I was not on, but that's how well it did. So, hmm. you know, these that's, two couples that made it too, they got like a second series where they followed them for the first year and... I feel very connected to this reality show. Like it's, it's weird to feel like a legitimate connection to a reality show.
0: You're just like they never met, but they're still together. So at this point, it's probably because of me, because as as you know, you feel responsible for that.
1: I mean, I introduced <laughs> them, so I'm basically a matchmaker.
0: Right. You 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 were the you were the officiant, and you were you, you were uh, the maid of honor, and and everything wrapped in the one. So it's, it's all. But it's
1: hilarious now when I have weddings and the groom is so nervous, I'm like, trust me. I've married grooms who don't even know their brides. You can do this. You'll be fine. You live together. You're fine. You know.
0: That's that's really funny. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you. Uh, there's sort of this thing that I'm I'm sort of developing. Well, for a, have been for a while. There's a romantic comedy, and it's really hard to make romantic comedies anymore. And we were having this meeting uh, with the writers about something specifically last week, and the, the topic of starter marriages came up. Whereas. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I don't know if I have this term correct, but it's almost like when people, it's like they're like 26 and they could date, and usually they're professionals or they, you know, they're young professionals, and like they, they both work, and usually it's like, you know what, I really like you, you know, I really like you right now. Maybe let's just try getting married for five or six years, but we can always like, it's almost like a contract versus something else, and obviously that-, that sounds, that's what I need. <laughs> Well, no, Well,
1: apparently- I, I need a wife. I'd like a wife like that. Somebody to take care of me would be nice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was, but it was sort of a. I, I read about this somewhere, and then some, and then one of the writers also brought it up. But it's almost this thing where, anyway, in, in our movie, it's the concept of like we were not that we all agree with this, but it was, it was the concept of like, do you have a soulmate or do you have like four or five soulmates over the course of your life? And it's almost like, is it okay to transition between it? But anyway, that was a whole thing. But have you? I guess you haven't encountered that at all.
1: No, I'd say that the people that come to me are special in the sense that often they're issuing sort of the traditional wedding, and they really want to focus on the ceremony. And i've I've done big weddings, I've done small weddings, and obviously all couples like love each other and want to make it work at least that I can am aware of for the most part. But I, I do feel like there's a specialness to sort of saying, you know, I'm not going to do this whole thing. I don't want to do the big party. It's just the two of us, you know, in this park getting married or we flew in from Australia to get married together and have this special moment. So I definitely think that the couples I marry have forever in their minds.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. I also have never heard of the starter marriage thing, but I'd like to hear more about it. I, that's a fascinating concept.
0: Yeah, I thought so too. It was about, you know, we were just talking about cuz our our dating movie was about just like millennials dating. It's a good, it's like a traditional movie, but there's so much stuff that's like different with with how millennials and people in their early 30s now date and we were sort of exploring that concept. Um but it seems like basically if you don't want the middle-aged like priest who might be drunk and not show up and make like an off color remark in the middle of your ceremony, they, mm-hmm. they go, they go to you. That's basically what yeah, the service like,
1: is. Yeah. Like, can you imagine getting married and the priest forgets your name or says it wrong? I mean, these are things that yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to be late. I'm, I'm, I'm always sober. I mean, I never drink and I, I'm going to say your name right. And these are the things that I think are important when you're getting married because it's a very intimate moment. I'm also not going to make it about me, which is, you know, some other officiants kind of do. It's it's not about me, it's about you. So I feel like
0: people do that. I feel like people do that and it's weird now that no one cares about religion anymore. It's even stranger because um I make that sweeping statement, but it's it's even stranger because you know, I feel like you used to in like the 50s or 60s like if you went to uh, church or synagogue or whatever, you probably would know the the priest pretty well. But now it's like you, yeah. you, you like rent you like rent I mean, a priest and I went then it's to, like yeah. it feels weird.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean the The Catholic uh, weddings that I've been to have been, like, I grew up Catholic, and for the most part, no one knows the priest. Or it's, like, it's in a...
1: Not a personal relationship.
2: Yeah, and it's in, like, a church that maybe someone in your family, like your aunt or your mom, has, like, a really strong, like, emotional tie to, but maybe Mm -hmm. they don't really know the priest either. Mm -hmm. But I also did notice that a friend of mine got married at, um, at Caesars uh, in Atlantic City. (laughs) Okay. and, And, um... Both him and his wife are, are Jewish, and they had a rabbi officiate. And I thought it was probably the best of both worlds, because you kind of have this this person that they knew. Um, well, I think it was, like, uh, the groom, Justin, knew, like, throughout his entire lo- life. So he had all these, like, funny anecdotes to kind of, like, um, punctuate parts of the the ceremony, which I thought was... And it didn't feel, like, overly weird or boring or anything. It was didn't actually, feel like, forced? really funny. No, not at all. And I was like, okay, that that's probably... That's that's a good someone who's like a good uh officiator.
1: I mean, I think that's the ideal for anybody is to have so sort of a an older person that knows them and knows the situation and knows the couple but you're right. It's so not the reality anymore. I mean, I've gone to so many funerals where the person the person doing the funeral has never even met the person that they're talking about, yeah. and it's just such a strange concept to me because it's such an intimate moment. And I'd rather have no priest there, no rabbi there, than have somebody talking about me who's never right. met me before.
2: And in a funeral, I've I've been to one where um, the priest would just be like, "I was told, yeah, by they tell me
1: that Daniel, you know, is, sorry, Dan, <laughs> I killed you off." Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I died. <laughs> <it for laughs> help. I'm back. What's going to be great is that I'm going to be doing the eulogy at Dan's funeral and it's going <laughs> to be right. ridiculous.
1: Good. I'm down. I'll be there.
2: I, I, I appreciate that. He's, he's going to put in his will, like, don't let Matt anywhere near the microphone. <laughs> yeah, we'll contest
1: exactly. it, Dan. Don't worry. I've yeah, got it'll,
0: you, know, you, got, you got lawyers. Um, <laughs> so do, do you also do funerals? Have you, have you crossed over?
1: I, I don't. I, I mean, I would, <laughs> but I haven't. I haven't ever um, done funerals or baby namings or anything like that. It'd be um, cool, too, though down for it
0: yeah you're like you never know gotta expand so
1: honestly so, it's the funniest thing every time i say i'm gonna shutter the company i get like 20 new requests and i'm like well <laughs> no i have to okay you like a
2: furniture going at a business sale <laughs> really every quarter. for <laughs> three years yeah every, every it quarter feels for three like years
1: a, yeah because every time like, i could get a job that's a little crazy and you know and then I got I, this other job. <laughs> it's a lot, but
0: I, I do like the idea that there's a bunch of people like you, like that all are in a room together, and it's sort of like a firehouse. And then like you see these open assignments, and then you're like, I got this one, and you're like you like slide down the pole, and then you're just like you like jump in some vehicle, and it's I I, I sort of you know I'm not saying yeah. it's like a, sort of a superhero kind of thing, but I I do you know I as, mean, as like overly the, dramatic as they are,
1: I wear a cape when I do the wedding, so
0: yeah. <laughs> um. So is this the main thing you you mentioned how like you're doing this, but like it's obviously not the main thing you're doing right now but no. but you sort of keep it or you keep it around did you have did you have like massive success with it and then it kind of dried up or what was what's like the past like three or four years been like
1: uh yeah so <laughs> what happened is um i My first job out of college was working at a Unitarian Fellowship. I was an administrator, and I knew I wanted to leave there. Um, I knew I couldn't stay there much longer. I did my sister's wedding, and her photographers took me aside and told me I had to sort of keep doing this. Um, So I quit that job, because I was like, I'm just going to quit. No reason. And I started doing the wedding sort of earnestly, and then that wasn't really enough to subsist on. So I became a substitute teacher, and then I got hired as a full-time teacher, and I did that for two years. Then I got laid off. Um, And I was doing the weddings a lot, and I got a babysitting job. And then my boyfriend basically was talking to a friend one night over beers, and the friend said they needed a graphic designer at their company. And I sent my resume along, and then six weeks later, I had this job at Gramercy Tech. Um, And then that whole summer, I was babysitting, working at Mercy Tech, Traveling a lot for work. And then I basically come home for a weekend, do a wedding every day, <laughs> then fly out to a separate place and come back home and do a wedding every day, and then head out someplace else. So it became a lot. Um, this weekend, I mean, this past summer was very busy, and the spring was busy. And then I quit babysitting and I started doing Grammarcy Tech more full time, which is now full time and doing weddings on the side. So, it's been like consistently spotty throughout the past 3 years. But that's sort of how I got there. I mean, I haven't done a wedding in maybe 3 months at this point, but I have a bunch coming up for the spring. So,
0: nice. Anything outrageous or all pretty like pretty normal things?
1: All pretty tame. Um, you know, a lot of couples that sound great and I'm looking forward to meeting, but nothing too crazy. I'm getting pickier about what I take too. I mean, when I first started, I would drive like upstate to you know from Long Island to upstate New York for a wedding, driving like six hours round trip just to get the job basically, but now i I really won't take it unless it's convenient for me.
0: Gotcha. Um, you were telling us that sort of some of the stuff and listening to some of the back episodes. That some of the stuff at Grammarcy Tech kind of, uh, or that some of the stuff that Matt talked about kind of reminds you about stuff that you do.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the the follow up there is like, so. What do we do? (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking at your website. It looks like you have like a few different. Is it like a consulting company? Do they make products for people?
1: So, yeah, um, I I designed that website, so you're welcome. Um, (laughs) On Squarespace. I am. Um, what we do, we do a bunch of things. Um, Grammarcy Tech primarily makes web apps for large meeting events. Uh, we're launching a new app called Paperless,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is um, an app that will be available through the App Store, and you can download it and sign up and make events. Um, this allows us to do things like we do large meetings for pharmaceutical companies. So they have like 1,500 people at a meeting. They can download the app once, and then every time they go to different meetings, we can just update their events that are available to them, okay. so they don't have to keep updating. They don't have to keep downloading apps. In the past, we would build a new app every time. So, and the which, meetings are
2: like, like a company retreat or something?
1: Um, you know, they're, they're, Yeah, they're informational meetings, a lot of them, and the the idea of the apps is that they have everything they need in one place. They've got all of their certification materials, all of their educational materials, their hotel information, mm-hmm. their agendas. Um, Sometimes there's a camera with a camera, you know, camera app with a camera stream in there, or um, like a social feed app. So there's the the app holds a lot, but every time in previous years, every time they had a meeting, they would have to download a new app and it would take up space on their iPad. And they only have 16 gig iPads, so it's a whole thing. Um, So we're launching this app, Paperless, which is another thing that we're doing. And then we're also getting really into RFID. Um, So we did Social Media Week. We did all of the badging Social Media Week New York. All of the badges were RFID enabled and we had these digital signs that said what was happening on each stage. There was a person with an iPad that would scan them in, scan their badge in so that they had reserved a place in whatever talk they wanted to go to and then they would line up right before and there would be these big lines and they would disappear in a second because we'd have somebody with an iPad just scan them in.
0: That that sounds pretty efficient.
1: Yeah, it was. It was kind of cool because my boss was standing there with somebody from, I think, the New York Times. And she was like, wow, but that's like a pretty big line. And my boss was like, just wait. (laughs) And within three minutes, the line was gone. You know, they'd scanned everybody in, gotten everybody seated. So it was really cool. It was a very cool project to get to take on. Um, Like I said, I came in as a graphic designer. And my boss has been very generous with his trust of me. And I got to sort of manage the whole social media week. Badging event. Um, so that was pretty fun to, to get to be involved in. It's di- very different from pharma, which is what we do a lot of, it's a lot more fun. Um, and then we do a lot of other fun stuff. We do interactive experiences, iPad walls, tablet walls, iPhone walls. Um, we make some iPad games and uh, we work with those Nabi tablet tabs, which are like the huge tablets. And we do games for those. um, Getting a little bit into like VR stuff and. Sweet. Yeah, it's fun. It's really really fun. I mean, it was so much fun. I got my boyfriend hired there, and now he gets to have fun too.
0: That's sweet. Uh, Episode thirteen, which just posted earlier today, is all Mm -hmm. about virtual reality because I'm a huge, huge proponent of virtual reality, mostly for content and narrative stuff. But it's um like it's clearly it's clearly so useful for different kinds of commercial and social media content. Um, the, the narrative application of it is like really tricky because it's sort of like how do you tell stories in it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and I've also, uh, I did some stuff for Crowdcentric which I think puts on. Oh yeah, on...
1: that's Social Media Week. Those are the same guys.
0: Yeah. yeah so uh, I know Eric Kramer pretty well and we did, I did a bunch of content for them in New York and in LA at different times. I, I think in London too actually. So that's, that's
1: awesome. They're pretty, really, really great guys. I mean, we had a lot of fun with
0: them. That's pretty funny. It's a small world. Um, so, so you were saying? Kind of, we were talking about how, like, some of the, you know, we sort of gotten away from just like talking about what people actually do, sort of like day to day in their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about that, and I also want to talk about some of the some of the phrases that we were throwing around. Is there are there any phrases that are unique to uh, to what your job is?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> on the spot like that. Well, we can think about
0: that. We can I'll talk about to the rest. I'll think about it. First. I can
1: tell you that I was talking to my coworkers the other day and my boyfriend, who started at the company about two weeks ago doing servers and iOS development, um, said, I feel like I've, I've been dropped into a different land. I, have no, I understand the words, what you're saying, but I have no idea what they all mean. So I'll have to think about that.
0: Just a lot of acronyms. Just constantly. Yeah, what was your-
1: acronyms and and you know the complaints are very specific and <laughs> the people that you're talking about. What were you gonna say?
0: Matt has a lot of acronyms that he uses that I that he just assumes I know and I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just
1: because just, you don't seem foolish.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what's so what's what's your day like and what would be what what do you think that people would find surprising about what you're you're doing? I think there's a lot of stuff that's surprising about. Uh, marrying people, but what do you think people would find surprising about what you're doing now?
1: I think the unique thing about my company, like the surprising thing, is that, well, I don't think older people believe I have a job when I describe it. Um, you know, we're very, like I was saying about my work life balance, it's very comfortable in my office. We have a beer fridge, you know, we have the virtual, we have like the VR gear out all the time, and usually somebody's in it just like playing around. Um, we do pajama days and we have this amazing office manager that just keeps us in snacks and everything. But it's a small company too, it's only 15 people, um, which means it's really intimate and close. So I think that's sort of the most surprising thing. You know, um, My day, I'm trying to think, we do um, a scrum. We sort of are loosely in Agile. So we do a scrum meeting every morning, 10 o'clock. 10.15 10, we do a paperless scrum, which is for the app that we're launching.
0: I don't know what that is. Could you, I maybe Oh, imagine. Scrum. You know that... Okay,
1: so I guess in Agile, which was introduced to us by a former project manager, you have a lot of elements, but a Scrum is essentially, um, it's supposed to be maximum of eight people. We sort of fudge that, that each person gets on and they stand up and they have two minutes to speak, maximum two minutes, about what they're doing today, what they did yesterday, what they need help with, essentially. Um, we're very loosely stealing, you know, taking from that, but we basically... It gives all of our programmers a, t- a chance to be like up and in the office and accountable by 10 a.m. Um, and sort of lets us check in with each other because a lot of what we do does affect each other. So even if people are working on two different projects, or the guy, the you know our, my friend Steve who does the servers is working on something, but somebody has a demo going that day and he's planning on taking down the servers that their demo would be messed up because of that, you know, these things end up getting addressed whereas we might not communicate about that specifically without scrum. Hmm. So, I they started it. I've been at my company for almost a year and they started it like the week I started there. So, I've only ever known it like that. Um and I, I like it because it's like a lot of accountability, everybody sort of gets together. Um we have a few people that are out of state, so we gather around somebody's computer and we have Google chat open
0: and … Yeah, I was going to ask you about that actually because Matt, Matt is a big proponent of being a digital nomad and working from everywhere and not being in the same room with people. Whereas <laughs> I'm probably on the opposite side of the spectrum because like for me I just have to be in the same room and actually whether it's editing a movie or like be prepping a movie. Yeah. I mean you can do stuff over Skype but
2: we, … Um, um, we do the same  thing, Jenny, that you that you uh, just described, uh, oh, yeah. like a, a stand-up every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And well, let's see, we have about 30 developers um, in our company, and we have a, a bunch of product managers that, that also project manage, which we're actually starting to do less of that. Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, uh, we're broken up into teams of like, say, four to eight uh, at any given time. So I'll take my team, and usually, yeah, every morning at 10 a.m., We all stand in the kitchen and do exactly what you just said, which is um, just kind of air out any concerns or any kind of details that can spur on like some kind of serendipitous um, kind of aha moment where like you can put a couple things together that maybe you wouldn't have. uh, Right. Yeah. So it's like kind of a risk management um, thing (laughs) as well.
1: Yeah. That's a good way to put it.
2: Yeah. Because that happens all the time where someone's like, you know, this is going to happen. And someone else goes, wait a second. I, I didn't know about that. And you realize that you just saved a couple days of like
1: mm-hmm. confusion.
0: Well, yeah. But, no. Would you, would you rather have like an hour now to go over everything, or would you would you rather have sixty emails that go nowhere three weeks? But the from thing
1: now? is, too. The thing about Scrum is it should not take longer than fifteen minutes. Yeah. Especially because the idea is like you should only have enough people on a Scrum that you can split a pizza with. Which, like <laughs> I said, we fudge. But yeah, that's it, the
2: the Jeff Bezos two pizza rule. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So we have. I think it usually ends up being from 10 to like 10.08 because we've gotten a really down pat where we're just going really quickly. Yeah. And then we have a, I have a second Scrum, which is like a different team at well,
2: 10.15. Dan, to your point about the, the virtual uh, aspect is that sometimes like sometimes for no reason, I'll just say we use Slack, which is a chat program, mm-hmm. and um, we'll just say virtual standup in Slack. And everyone just does this exactly what they would do, just in text. And sometimes we do it for no reason, just to kind of because we we don't feel like going to the uh, the kitchen. Or sometimes we do it because too like somebody's working from home or too many people right. are working from home. Um, but I'm just trying to do that more because if if we get that down correctly, then it doesn't matter if we're in the same room. We just have to be really adamant about using that. Plus, after the this the stand up is over, people are chatting in a in a chat room all day constantly. Right. So it's it's like that that communication is still going on regardless of like it's synchronous.
1: I mean, we use Google Hangouts for everything at work. So, like I said, I mean, we have one of our project managers is in Boston. Um, one of our developers just had twin babies, so he's he's home. And there's a very flexible feeling of working from home. I've been going in a lot recently because I feel that I need to be there for whatever reason. I'm having a meeting or. You know something else, but when I started, I only went into the office two days a week because I was still babysitting two days a week, so I would go in on my off days um and we just are constantly video chatting each other sometimes like I would just sit for four hours on with one of my coworkers on video chat, yeah, like ne- kind of talking and kind of working, and I've never
2: tried that. I've heard that their entire teams do that does it like and you think it works
1: um I think it's great I mean I think yeah like there's i I tend to get more done when I'm home. I right now I have an hour commute, either way, both ways, so I feel less burnt out. Like I'll work until seven o'clock and not feel burnt out. Whereas if I have that commute behind me and in front of me, I just feel tired usually. Um, I I think there's benefits to both. You know, when we first started, when I first started at the company, we had a tiny office that was, you basically couldn't fit everybody in. So we worked from home a lot. Now we have two offices and there's a lot more room so it makes more sense to come in and like I said, there's snacks and beer so (laughs) it's nice to come in but I I think it works pretty well. I mean, I've never had a day where I thought, oh, I should have gone in for this reason. It's only ever, you know, I I think you get that time back and there's a certain level of like not chit chat, I lose the chit chat which I like. I mean, I love my coworkers, but you get distracted by them.
2: Yeah, I, like, for the most part, if I have zero <laughs> meetings in a given day, I usually just stay home, um, which doesn't really happen that often. But also, like, if I have, like, five meetings in the morning and then nothing scheduled for the rest of the day, I'll just go home and work from there. Because, like, what I'm thinking, I need to be, like, pacing around, and usually that's distracting.
1: And you you, do you develop? Is that what you do? You're a developer?
2: Uh, I used to, to do all the front end, um, like CSS and HTML. Oh, okay. Uh, and a lot of the design, but now I'm mainly doing, like, mainly, actually, a lot of what I'm doing today is, is research and um, kind of crafting arguments for what we should build and why. And then to a lesser extent, I'm doing, like, wireframing. So, like, okay. trying to prototype the idea.
1: Oh, right. You said you're UI and UX, right? Like, more? Uh-huh. You do UI and UX design? yeah
2: and i'm the kind of person that is like i'm not the i'm not the greatest ui designer like i don't create <laughs> pixel perfect mock-ups or anything um we have a graphic designer for that and but i'm the kind of person that is like i get frustrated so easily when i'm using ui so i'm like very very particular <laughs> about like, yeah about the, the user experience um of our app so that like I can at least wireframe it out. Say I want this button here to do this, and, and like, these are the errors that should show up.
1: But that's why you yeah. need a UI designer. It doesn't have to be the yeah. right per- the person to. That's not the graphic designer. There's a difference. Yep. That's why they're different names. Um, I also think we have a we have two offices. Like I said, on the same floor. So we have one office which we call the creative office. And, then, and that has all the graphic designers and the project managers and my boss's office is in there. And then we have the lab, which is where a lot of the fun stuff is, but also where all the developers live. And there's a very different corporate culture in each office. The lab is quiet all the time. And they really need to put their heads in their computers and sort of work quietly. And the creative office is like fun and we usually have music going and you know somebody's always lying on the couch and working so it's nice because we have that balance so if you need the quiet you can go ahead into the developer's office if you want to talk to people though you go into the, into the, the creative office
2: yeah we used to call that the arts and crafts room
1: yeah it's and it's really it's except for one guy who's in our creative department it's all girls all girls and my boss and this other guy so it's kind of definitely feels more like a slumber party all the time <laughs> it really does you know we have like as this huge monitor that i'm obsessed with that we got so we could do the company calendar and show mock-ups and things like that and we'll play you know music videos or we'll play like parks and rec or something like that and so that one
2: guy is like the one guy is like this feels like a slumber party.
1: Oh, he loves it. <laughs> he's he's the only guy that could survive there, but he loves it. He thinks it's the best, and he loves being, like, one of the girls and taking care of all of us, and, yeah.
0: All right. Well, it seems like he has a good situation. <laughs> he does. Um, uh, yeah, no, I was just thinking about, like, it's so weird. I This week I had two things I absolutely had to do before, because my schedule's been really screwed, and... Um, I had two things I absolutely had to do before going in, in for a few meetings, and I think it's just about selectively turning your phone off, which sounds so simple, but yeah. I think yeah. it's just not You we, we talk about your, your email triage system, but I think it's just about selectively just being like, you know what? I am not going to answer anything. Because ultimately, unless you're in the middle of a huge crisis, I think it's really just learning to Accept the apocalypse. Not it sounds a little fatalistic, but it's it's accepting that nothing really is going to go wrong while your phone's off. Let's be honest. So oh,
1: you know, that makes me so anxious. Just you saying that really does it's, it. it? Yeah, it's so true, though. I mean, I feel like in my line of business, things could blow up at any second. And I mean, we, this is again the work-life balance issue, which is like I'm terrible at turning off my phone, and my boss constantly yells at me because he's like. Why were you answering my emails at 10 o'clock? You don't need to be answering my emails at 10 o'clock. I'm like, well, you emailed me, so I answered it. Like, I just, that's, I, I think I'm really, like, type A about that. I i get in trouble all the time for, like, answering client emails too late at night. You know, if they'll really? expect anything. We, why do you get in
0: trouble for that?
1: Because because they they that, like, brings a level of expectation that we're going to be available all hours of the day, which we shouldn't be. Yeah, and, well, you that's, know,
0: that's definitely that, That's true. a good point, actually.
1: Yeah. And, like, I mean, it gets back to the point of, like, we're always telling each other to go be a human. Go like go out with your boyfriend, or you know, go have dinner with your husband. Or we say to my boss, like, go see your kids already. Like, go be a human, because I think we are a small company and we're very dedicated to what we do, and it feels like a family. So nobody ever wants to sort of call it a day, and it's great. But you know, I was reading an article about employee burnout in New York Times too. So that's also. Possibility.
0: What's also like finding good people is like really tough. And if you and if you have a situation where you really, we've talked about this before. Where in doing, I'm basically like a a per. I live in the in a state of of uh, permalance where every movie, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, you're like, oh, we'll we'll do this thing. Like there's this movie that's going to happen in Colombia in South America soon, which uh, is going to be interesting because on that movie we're bringing in like eight to ten people to Colombia. And mm-hmm. then everyone else is going to be local. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. There'll be lots of episodes. I feel like that I'll be. Um, apparently, they have really good internet there, way better <laughs> than our system uh, really? in Los Angeles. Um, but uh, but yeah, you live in the state of permalance, and so you have you know you have some people that work at your company, but then you have um, you know you, you're just hiring 120 people for every show, mm-hmm. um, and so there's not really that whole corporate sort of structure of. Yeah, it's not the whole structure of like you need to keep people happy because you want to have an environment that people will want to stay.
1: You can burn you, them out. You can like use them. Well, and abuse them.
0: yeah, except for, I mean that's the nature that's the nature of making a movie anyway, and people kind right. of understand that because you're working twelve to fourteen hours a day, and mm-hmm. generally, generally are paid uh, decently well for those hours, and there's lots mm-hmm. of other benefits and stuff, but. Yeah, in terms of like real – in the real world, uh, it's not outside of making movies. I feel like that's such a huge thing is is having that kind of culture because otherwise, you know, people just like – people will just leave. You know, I think – I think definitely think that millennials don't have the kind of thing where like they, they switch jobs way more than any other previous generation.
1: I mean, yeah. They, they also have less
2: job security. So there's like there's – two, there's two sides of that coin, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: It's interesting – at my job because I do think you I mean we do work eight hour days are short days and we do live events so we go to these meetings and we put you know we're there we've set things up we're there in case anything goes on fire so when we're doing that there are it's 16 hour days and it's it's tough but like the thing that gets us through is that we have these other like I call them camp friends you know other people that work at other companies that do the same live events And you get to meet up with them and you get to, you know, my boss takes us out for dinner when we're on site and things like that. And I think he knows that he has to throw in these little perks because it is exhausting and we are away from our families and we are giving up a lot of social life and, you know, whatever, romantic life to be there. And then you compound that with the fact that when we are even working at the office, we're working these pretty intense hours, which I think is why he lets us have all the snacks we want. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah it's and just it's just snacks all the time or I mean, free massages a, the whole the so whole free
1: day. massages would really throw it over the edge we've been pushing for that but like my boss <laughs> recently introduced um a program that we sort of came up with together where he's going to be reimbursing us for our gym memberships if we go a certain amount of times a month hmm. and things like that sort of make you feel like he cares i mean he's honestly like He's a great boss. He's and I'm not just saying that because I told him about the podcast, but um, he really is. He's just he's a lot of fun. He's really understanding. He's very protective of us. I mean, I've had situations where I've been like harassed when I'm on site, and he's super protective and comes. You know, he's my champion. So you get all of that. But it's it's really hard to find people that sort of give a shit about the company, and that's why I think everybody at the company has been hired through somebody else. Right. and it creates this little network
2: yeah culture building is, is one of the most challenging aspects of building a company it, it really mm-hmm. isn't people think it's just like well how can i convince someone to pay me to do this thing it's like that's not even the hardest part like the mm-hmm. hardest part is just build is getting people involved and keeping mm-hmm. them involved mm-hmm. and not letting the whole thing go to, go to shit that's like right that's it's so, it's so not hard. just
0: donut fridays you know like donut <laughs> yeah. fridays only take you so far And there's a
2: great um, Twitter account called PHP CEO, um, which is like PHP is a programming language that like, like a lot of people use it. It's I mean, Facebook was built on it. We use it a lot. Yeah, we use it at at RJ, too. But Mm -hmm. like, it's also associated with people that are just starting out and don't exactly know what they're doing because it's very easy to learn and pick up. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) there's a tweet that's just like, yeah, we just imported culture. The the, uh, ping pong table is on the way. And yeah. It's just like if you just buy all. There's this, There's kind of a stigma where you just buy all this stuff that is startupy, and all of a sudden, exactly. you exactly. And, and it's I not think
1: true. we've hit some sort of. I don't know how they did it. I honestly don't know how they did it, but I think it has to do with friends hiring friends and stuff like that. And it's super close. I mean, it's it's like almost obnoxiously close sometimes. When we were at Social Media Week. I had people from other companies coming up to us and being like, you guys are like a company from a movie. You're kind of obnoxiously <laughs> close.
0: And right. it's true. Right. You're, you're like, even so, it's like, look, there's no, time for you get, for, it's like, there's no time for you to get married this weekend. I will marry you at the office. <laughs> like, we'll save all this time. And... It's
1: practically like that. I'm like, can you just come here? I mean, I've done weddings, like, that are a couple blocks from the office and jump back to work. Um, it's, that's,
0: that's that's called efficiency. Yeah, that's efficiency. <laughs> no. just getting getting All shit that, that done. <laughs> um, Matt would try and Matt would try and Skype the wedding. Like he would try and do it
2: from like. I
1: would if I could, man. I would if I could. Yeah,
2: I would be like in Flubber uh, at the end when, when he marries he marries his wife, but he's in his lab.
0: Yes, <laughs> I,
1: <remember> yes. <laughs> I,
2: for, I forgot about that reference. That's uh, <laughs> good. I'm glad you
0: brought always, that.
1: back it, Always a good Flubber reference.
0: <laughs> um, Never but, gonna go out of date. There's a company that I've done content for that's a huge company that um, I cannot name that has, um, you know, they, they sort of, they're very well known. They have a huge office in Palo Alto. They, um, you know, it, they obviously spent like trillions of dollars on hiring an architect to ergonomically design the place to be conducive, to have people work together. And whatever I've been there like many times to, to shoot stuff or do meetings or kind of like, you know, just talk, you know, look at new tech and, and then no one's ever using anything that they it's there. It's yeah. like this giant warehouse. Where they're oh, just like yeah. That's, it's that's so, what it's Actually, so funny.
2: I will say a lot of people use the ping pong table like uh, multiple times every single day. Um, But that's a, another thing. It's just like you buy something that's really cool and then no one uses it. Because they're all working. And everyone, and everyone feels like they shouldn't use it or else they won't be, like, seen as being working.
0: <laughs> right. Just, that goes to that goes the whole stigma. job security thing, is the stigma towards that.
2: Um, I, I had this, uh, so when I worked at Full Six uh, in New York um, as, like, a 19-year-old front-end developer f- for, like, like uh, every shampoo website you've ever heard of, like, every L'Oreal <laughs> brand, um, there was this one guy there who was, like, in his 30s, and he said he worked at a startup in like 2000 and they had a basketball court and they had to to downsize because they lost all this money and they just, they, they couldn't choose. They couldn't figure out who to choose. So they just f- saw a bunch of people in the basketball court and fired them all on the spot. <laughs> oh my God. Right, right. There. <laughs> That's
0: actually really funny. They're actually... just like, it's like, who's not working right now? <laughs> yeah, <at>
1: this <laughs>
2: very moment, like completely arbitrary.
1: Who thinks they can take off in the middle of the day?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Apparently that was cause.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I guess my boss's solution is don't buy anything. I think he wants a a ping pong table or something like that, a foosball table, but luckily we don't have enough space yet. Every time we get an office, we outgrow it in like two weeks, so we don't have space for a foosball table, which is great because the boys, the programmers, would probably be on it a lot.
2: Programmers, You like that? Yeah. (laughs) I I've, I've I'm on the line of being the in the bro camp. I'm, yeah. I'm very broy, but but I'm very okay. uh, I'm very uh aware.
1: <laughs> it sounds like you would fit in just fine with my programmers. I mean, they're the sweetest <laughs> and like I said, I've known these boys since before I started working at the company. So, it's they're great, but they're super programmers and they get their shit done. I'll give them that.
0: What do you guys think about people – because I, I definitely relate to the whole like no one actually thinks you have a real job thing because I don't really have a real job. Um, I have I have like seven different jobs that I'm doing at the mm-hmm. same time. And I always say that I do, the, I do the same job of five people ten years ago <laughs> and get paid what two of them would have gotten paid. <laughs> so – which I'm kind of happy about but um, I wish it were better. But it's um, – I just can't imagine – what do you think the cutoff is for people? Not, I'm not lumping old people into one group, or even saying what makes old. But what do you think the cutoff is for people who sort of understand how these sort of companies operate? <laughs> like, how is it people who are who sort of grew up with this sort of culture in like their 30s, or like, what do you think that that line of demarcation is?
1: It's a good question. Um- probably around late 30s. I mean, my boss is in his late 30s, and I don't think anybody older than him would really understand it. Even the – we work with a production company who produces these live events, and these producers, like, appreciate what we do and need us to do what we do, but they don't really understand what we do um, and or how it happens. It's kind of just magic to them a lot of the time. So I'd say, like, late 30s, and then to actually, like, be effectively doing it, like early 30s.
0: Yeah, I just wonder if it's like purely tech, or just if every industry—I'm not saying like rivet manufacturing or something <laughs> industrial—but I yeah, just wonder well, if every. Well, think if, about
2: that. Like, do you have a good handle on everything that Dow Corning does?
0: <laughs>
2: well, besides produce like chemicals and stuff, I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at my iPhone right now, and there's a Dow Corning product right in front of me. Like Gorilla Glass, I think is is them. Like yeah. right, right. So, but I guess my point is just like, I don't think. Like, I don't think ignorance of an industry is, like, a thing. I think, I think what's happening is, like, there, there's so much money that's pouring into tech because there's so much growth that you see companies that just do stuff that's completely unsustainable or just stupid. And people just go, all right, well, that's not a real thing. <laughs> that's just a bunch of bullshit. And oftentimes it is. Right. Because um, there are companies that get funded and they're getting, and even they, they get big and they're not, they're not real. Like, the, the value isn't really there.
1: Yeah, I think there's an extra confusion because what I do is, um, what we do is like private in a sense, like it's for private companies and you would never see what we do publicly. And so it's hard to explain to, you know, my grandmother what this app is for and who it's for because it's for a very specific use case. And it's just like... It's the same with the, us. Like, there's no re- right. I mean, you guys do like metrics and like data analytics stuff like that. Is that correct? Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's like you're never gonna have to go to a large meeting for a pharmaceutical company. So you're probably <laughs> never gonna see what we do. But like, if I, mean, I do,
2: then I'm probably doing really well.
1: I don't know if you guys saw John Oliver had a whole thing about on this week tonight about pharmaceutical companies and sort of these meetings that they have, and they were talking about it, and I was just cracking up because I was like, they think that's Like they think that's big. Like they have no idea what we're doing. I mean, we're doing some really cool stuff that we can't really talk about because it's for these private companies. So it's really hard because there is definitely an air of secrecy around it. So can show my grandmother like a demo app, but I can't really show her what we're really using. You know?
0: Yeah, I feel like if I showed uh, any of my parents the virtual reality stuff that I'm doing, they'd be so. I mean, they would be confused because obviously you can kind of see what it is, but. I mean, just the whole idea of because there's a movie that I'm doing soon where I'm gonna push pretty hard. I'm not sure if we'll go for this because it's massively expensive and very difficult. But I was telling Matt that I want to do the whole movie will be shot traditionally. And then I think you know there's a big action shootout that we might shoot in virtual reality. So there's specific scenes that will be shot in VR so that um, like action stuff. So if you're watching it at home on a headset in a year and a half or two years or ten years, it doesn't matter. Basically, you can get a different experience for those scenes suddenly will be in VR, whereas the rest of the movie is standard that you couldn't have gotten in the theater. And
2: is, is, the exper- I, is the experience for that where you you're watching the entire movie with a headset on and then there's like a part where you suddenly realize that you can move your head?
0: Well, it's sort of like, you know, The Dark Knight was shot in IMAX for like, you know, 20 minutes of the dark night was in IMAX, but the rest of the movie was in like standard format. It's yeah. sort of akin to that. I don't know if but this that's is going to work.
2: Like, so if I, I went and saw um, Interstellar, and part of it's IMAX, part of it's not, but the only reason you know is just because all of a sudden on the screen you see like a little extra uh, shot. There's, like, I don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah maybe. I mean,
1: that's a good question.
0: Yeah. And I have no idea. I mean, I think, um, I just think the question should be asked, um, about will that work? Uh, and you know, you know, the brain is a lot smarter and people are a lot smarter than I think, you know, people are always like, Oh, people will be confused. And you know, when people first saw that film of the train coming through the station and they thought they had, they had to get out of the theater because they thought the train was going to run them over. And that was, you know, that was in the early 1900s. And I think people, how things are cut together and how they work from a language perspective, uh, you know people are always ahead of that but I think but anyway my point was I just can't see I just can't see my parents watching a movie with a headset on (laughs) you know I just like I just don't think no matter what I don't think they're going to adopt that I I could be wrong but that was just my point of of how um, of sort of like people who look at some of like the ways of organizing the way of communicating that we do now and are just like I have no idea (laughs) I have no idea how I could relate to this
1: I feel Uh like it's more even for me, at least that that is a stumbling block. But I think the bigger one is the nature of my company, and I don't think that like when I say to my grandmother, you know, I'm going away to Las Vegas and the company is going to pay for me to stay at this hotel for a week and I'm going to get paid for it. I don't know. That just doesn't seem like a realistic thing. Think to my grandmother a little bit, where it's like, what do you even do anyway? And also, are you really being flown to Vegas to? Live for a week. I just, you know, and then are you really having pajama day? That doesn't sound like something companies do. So it's sort of the whole culture that I think sounds less believable to them than anything. Right. Because that's not how they know companies work. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's the thing. That's the other aspect. It's just some jobs are just way better and people don't (laughs) want to believe it.
1: Uh, Yeah. And we're lucky to have found them. Like I feel blessed every day.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I feel blessed every day, but I definitely. Um, you should try. Yeah. Was, no. No. Uh, no, no, I,
2: I, no. um when, when you think about, I mean, I think, I mean, from the little bit that I've heard from you, Jenny, and from what I know about myself and Dan, like we're we're in we're doing pretty good, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> can't can't really complain. I think it's because ultimately you get to travel a lot, you get to see different things, you get to work in different places, you get to have different experiences that people even 30, 40 years ago would have considered absolute luxuries that are almost. Not day to day experiences, but you know, it's for me. It's like I get to make movies in different places and explore different things. Matt um, and Jenny happy to come to Columbia. Uh, the dollar goes pretty far there. Um, we'll, we'll need to figure out how safe it's going to be. But uh, I've heard I'm, Columbia
2: is great, like especially even uh, Medellin, which of course has a has a bad rap uh, <laughs> uh, up here because of drugs. But I heard Medellin is like a, as a tech center now. Like it's starting to grow. Like it, maybe it's it's a little behind where, where Philly was like a few years ago. <laughs> well, come,
1: it's a come down. joke there, but... yeah, exactly. <laughs> their their
0: product is their product is strong there. You know, <laughs> they on, have on the,
1: plenty on, of on energy.
2: there's <laughs> yeah, yeah. just so much energy in, in Midian.
0: Lots of bandwidth. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, th- thanks, Jenny. It was great talking to you. This, but we could probably go on for a while. But I think we could probably, you know, wrap it up here for now. But I love to see – I love to hear like more about the different things when you can talk about different products and other stuff that you're doing.
1: If you're Um, in New York too, both of you, like I encourage you, like come to the office. Like we have lots of fun – get toys and stuff like that and, you know, VR and I don't know. It would be fun to to hang out and show you around.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like you have a really cool culture there, and I think I've seen a lot of companies who are trying to create a, a culture but just fall flat on their face. You know, it's like because it is it is probably the hardest thing is, yeah. in in business now. I feel like, as Matt said, so. Um, but uh, cool, all good. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah,
0: cool. Thank you for listening to the Mercenary Podcast. Uh, It was definitely interesting for me listening to something we recorded over a year ago and uh, some of the goals and some of the ideas that were prevalent at the time that we were talking about are still things that I know I'm pursuing, so it was definitely a good kick to be like, yeah, you should have uh, figured that all out already. The biggest takeaway for me is, although I was able to shoot a lot of VR on the film I did in Columbia, I really wish I was able to integrate it more into the plan. It's one of those things where you get down somewhere and you're making a movie and that's the biggest concern is just making that film. Um, And I wish I I put more effort on my own into integrating VR into narrative constructs that were part of the story. But again, there's always next time. I asked both Matt and Jenny separately about what they thought after listening to the same conversation back a year later. And here's what they had to say.
1: So now it's 2015. Listening to this podcast was like listening to this perfect little time capsule of last year. On the wedding front, I've basically ceased performing weddings. Um, I finally mostly shuttered the shop somehow. I pulled back my advertising and that really seemed to help. And I became much, much pickier about what I chose. It's been a very nice break to slow down a little bit and only have one full-time job. I do want to mention that there have been two more seasons of Married at First Sight, and there have been no other successful couples, which I guess is bad for them, but I like to think it's kind of good for me. I've got good wedding mojo. As far as Gramercy Tech goes, project management-wise, things are pretty much the same, but also very, very different. We've grown significantly um, in the past year. We've gone from about 15 to 22 which is a lot for a company of 15. We're now in three offices on one floor as opposed to two, and we've already outgrown the space. The structures of my day have completely changed too. Uh, when we spoke last, I had just been promoted to project manager and was starting out slow with some smaller projects. But now it's been over a year and I manage less projects directly. I, get to work more directly with clients, and then writing proposals, scopes, and budgets, which I really actually kind of love because I'm a numbers girl at heart. We've also done a lot of work I'm very proud of. We invented a form of human digital signage that I got to name, and I also built the prototype in my apartment with my boyfriend after a weekend trip to Home Depot, um, and a lot of other really cool stuff, which you can check out on our website. Um, Matt and I talked at length about working from home, and that now feels like an impossibility. Coworker and I were discussing it today, um, how everybody who was remote is basically not with the company anymore, and we're all there five days a week, like a normal job. It feels really exciting to be in the office day to day because there's so much happening so it's both necessary because if you're not there for a couple hours you will feel like you might miss something huge and like i said very exciting um i had such a fun time recording this episode i hope you have a fun time listening to it thank you dan and matt for having me and i hope i get to do this again
2: man how did we forget this one we recorded it right around the end of march in uh 2015 and uh, there was a lot going on that happened right afterwards. I ended up going to Thailand for a month. Dan went to Colombia. Um, but looking back and, and listening, uh, it's it's still a pretty damn good episode. I still haven't gotten married in Grand Central or on a subway car, um, but I'm looking forward to that someday. And um, yeah, we have another episode coming up after this. I talk about Thailand, Dan talks about uh, Colombia, and we get into it.